Welcome back to another episode of the Drinking and Talking Fantasy Football Podcast. Good evening, everyone. Your host, Dustin Lunt here. Jacob Trowbridge, my co-host. How are you doing this evening, sir? Hello. I'm just so damn superb. I can't express enough. People say superb, and I don't think that they mean it. Most of the time, I mean it. Mm-hmm. Well, great. Um, yeah, so we've got a great show here this evening. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit of running back by committee, and we have the... I, I don't even know the adjective to describe him because he's so amazing. The one and only. You can yes, say it. Yes, the, the, the one and only J.J. Zacharyson uh, at Late Round QB on Twitter. Uh, he's going to be joining us this evening to to talk over that. And then we have some other uh, questions for him as well. A lot of great discussions. So before we get into that, though, we need to know what are we drinking? So, Jake, you know, what we, are you drinking? I, I am currently drinking... Uh, it's from Anderson Valley. It's a blood orange goza. I hope I'm pronouncing that correct. That would be correct, uh, sir. Okay, I nailed it. So that's we're off to a hot start. Uh, you know what? I think I've had this on the, the pod before, if I'm being honest, and I don't care because it's fantastic. It's delightful, uh, and, and it goes down so smooth. Yes, and, and, and a good beer is a good beer, and we're, when you're still trying to practice your social distancing, you got to drink what's in the house. Yeah, you don't want to make needless trips to and fro, uh, from the story. See how I tossed in a fro? That was nice. There? That oh, was well on. done. What are you drinking? I am drinking uh, Lucy. No, not a woman. It's uh, from Indeed Brewing Company. It is a session sour. Uh, and it is delicious. I really like this You're beer a lot. Train. Yes. I, I, I very much it. am. Uh, very citrusy, very tropical fruity. Uh, it is so good. Only 4.2%, so. so it's crushable. Oh, uh, this is one of my more favorite beers I've found, I have to say. You said so good with about 11 O's, and that's how I know that it really is good. Mm-hmm. So I will, Truth. I will take your word for it. Should we just hop right? I don't want to waste any time. Let's hop right into our... Drunk, 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 hammer, drunk, 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 trade of the week. So this one, uh, I love, uh, I don't love the name of the person who submitted this or the Twitter handle of the person who submitted it. It is at Crosby Sucks. I, I take an affront to that because I, I think he's talking about our boy Mason and he does not suck. He yeah, is awesome. I, I thought too. I didn't know if I was being sensitive. No, no, no. No, I, I took it the exact if same I way. Am, we're both being sensitive to him. I mean, let's be honest. None of us really like kickers in the fantasy football uh, world here, but you just you just can't slam our boy Mason like that. Yeah, no, he's not the kicker on my fantasy football team, but he's still the kicker in my heart. That's right. Um, so it, com- it comes from this person who, who says uh, this is a super flex league. They had the rookie draft two weeks after the NFL draft. Okay. So the dust had just kind of settled here. Mm-hmm. And they needed a QB, and they were not a competitive team. So this is how you know it's going to be good. It says, drunken barbecuing, I traded Aaron Jones... Marlon Mack and T.Y. Hilton for Derek Carr, Tyler Boyd, Brian Edwards, and Damian Harris. Your thoughts, Adusta? Um, it's not great. I don't think it's as bad as as uh, this person makes it sound. Um, just because he needs a quarterback, 
in Superflex. Like that, that's unnecessary. And Derek Carr is the starter, and he's done for for being uh, maybe your number two quarterback in a Superflex league. Not a bad option. Uh, Tyler he's Boyd. Starting quarterback four now. Can I do that? I think he'll be four now. He'll be starting all season. All right. Agree to disagree there. Well, do do you want to uh, to do a beer bet on that? That wait is it is the beer bet that he plays all sixteen as a starter? I mean, excluding injury. Yes. Oh, I will absolutely take that. I I will take that beer bet. Okay. So if the if the only beer bet is by the end of the season he's still the starter, and not by way of injury, right? Uh, But Mm -hmm. if Mariota or somebody else comes in, I win this bet. Is it correct? If Mariota comes in as the starter. Yeah. If if Mariota comes in as a starter, then I win. Okay. Simple as that. Yes. Done. All right. Done. Mark it down. Lock it in. Lock All right. it in. I will. All right. All right. So disregard that, though. Disregard the yes. car portion of it. How do you feel about the rest of the trade? I mean, T.Y. Hilton for Tyler Boyd. Um, I don't hate that. Hilton's getting a little bit older. He's been injury prone. Uh, Tyler Boyd is an ascending fantasy asset. Uh, he, he showed off very well the last couple seasons. Uh, maybe not getting quite as high as the hype thought he was. But uh, still a solid player on your team. Uh, Marlon Mack, we know, is, is going to be taking a backseat to, to JT here at some point this season. Uh, it's the last year of his contract, so chances are he'll land somewhere else. But is that going to be a, a feature role for him moving forward? We don't know. Um, and then Brian Edwards, um, I actually really like him. And with Derek Carr, you can get the, the wide receiver QB stack, which is nice. Uh, Damian Harris doesn't really do anything for me. He was basically a healthy scratch for most of the season last year. I don't know how involved he's going to be this year. So all in all, it's not the worst trade in the world, um, especially because it's super flex and you need a quarterback. And typically those are super, super hard to come by. I feel like, so I want to call something out, because you said you get that quarterback to wide receiver stack. I feel like you only want that if it's, one, a good quarterback, and two, a good receiver. Uh, nothing against Brian Edwards. I, I actually, I think he'll be completely fine. But I, I guess I'm not as high on Brian Edwards as you are, um, it seems, at least in that offense, like mm-hmm. talent-wise, sure. But in that offense, I don't know. I, d- I do love Tyler Boyd, though. I'm all about the Tyler Boyd mm-hmm. hype. That's that's coming up. People have been talking about he could be a top twelve guy potentially. I don't know if I buy that quite, but he's have, on the fringe. Yeah, and you have to remember he he's not a competitive team. I'm assuming it's a he. Sorry if it's not. Uh, you know this is not a competitive team. So so you're unloading T. Y. Hilton, which is an older asset. Aaron Jones just had a season where he's got a ton of workload on him. He's going to be going into a second contract, and we know how everybody feels about second contracts right now. And the same thing with Marlon Mack. And you're getting some some younger players in return. So uh, if you look at it from that aspect as well, I, I don't necessarily hate it. That's fair. I, I get that. I think that you could get a lot more for those three assets, for Jones, Mack, and Hilton. Probably. Uh, yeah, if you look at it like that, if you look like that, I don't think it's bad. I mean, maybe if you got a, a little bit better player than Damian Harris, it, w- it would have evened it out a little bit more. But it's definitely not the worst trade I've seen. Let me put it this way. If Derek Carr does finish the season as the starter, then this was actually a good trade. I'll say Correct. that. Correct. Correct. 
All right, no more time I'll waste in Dustin. That's right. We will be right back with our guest, uh, J.J. Zacharyson. Hold on. We are back, folks, with our very special guest this evening, uh, J.J. Zacharyson. Good evening, J.J. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me, guys. Oh, no, thank you very much for coming on. We appreciate it. Um, for those of you who might not know you out there uh, in the fantasy football world, why don't you uh, give us a little intro and tell us what you're about. Yeah, so uh, I uh, work for FanDuel slash NumberFire. Uh, I was a NumberFire guy, and we were purchased by FanDuel uh, four or so years ago, so I've been a FanDuel employee for a while. Um, I do a lot of fantasy writing. Um, I started my career with the late-round quarterback ebook back in 2012, um, and now I my, my baby sort of sorts is, is the late-round podcast, which I do a few times a week. Mm-hmm. I like that we made you do an introduction as if people don't know, uh, but I like to think in my head there's a couple of people out there who are there's, like, wait, there are, there are millions of people who don't know. Uh, yeah, no, I, pre- I, I I like that approach way more. It, it it makes me, you know, whenever I go on shows and they say like, oh, everyone knows, no, that's not, the fantasy industry is pretty big. It's a, it's a pretty big industry. Mm-hmm. Can I equate it this way? Here's what I think it is. It's like... You coming on our podcast is a little bit like, you know, when like a fledgling show brings on a guest star to really bump up the ratings. Uh, you know, like Friends in the early seasons, they brought on like Jean-Claude Van Damme. I'm That's like, me. I'm, I'm Jean-Claude Van Damme. Yes. You're Jean-Claude. I, I look a lot like him. All, all the above, yes. Almost identical, honestly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so we right, we, we have, some, have some actual things to discuss mm-hmm. on this uh, on this episode here. But seriously, thank you for coming on, um, Dustin. You want to kick us off here? Yeah. So I think kind of the bulk of the the episode here that that we wanted to talk about is running back field uh, committees. Here um, are there specific ones that you think are going to to be. Uh, more useful than than others or are there specific running backs you're targeting uh that are in committees that you think will get the bulk of the uh the workload yeah so um i actually wrote an article this week uh on spotting breakout running backs um and i I sort of looked at trends from guys who far outperform their average draft position in terms of expected points um and, and what i found was i took that group of guys who outscored their expectation by 100 or more points and try to find some trends amongst those players uh guys who who uh amongst the guys who who outperformed uh their adp by 100 plus um and, and really what i found was handcuffing running backs that the handcuffs generally aren't the ones that are producing and, and outperforming expectation most uh what we're finding is that they're pass catchers and they're on teams that are in uh, committees and, and ambiguous backfields is how I phrased it. Um, and they're usually the second running back that's drafted on their own team. So the guy who gets drafted, uh, on average, their teammate is drafted at pick 59. Uh, so you're thinking, so essentially we're looking at a committee situation where the top guy in a committee is being drafted at the end of the fifth round in the 12-team league. The guy that's second on that team is generally the, the guy who's really outperforming or, or ADP and who's really uh, giving you that, that I don't want to say league winning edge because it's not necessarily that, but he's at least giving you a ton and ton of value, right? Um, so from that perspective, you know, I think that one player who sort of fits that mold is Tevin Coleman, um, where you look at, uh, and it's weird because it's not like I'm this like Tevin Coleman stan, uh, but, but I think that, you know, you look at 
the San Francisco backfield, you know, is one that can produce a lot of fantasy points. We saw last mm-hmm. year they were first in the NFL in points per game. Uh, you know, I, I think they end up not skewing so run heavy this year because it's going to be hard to be in that many positive game scripts like they were last season. Uh, but with that being said, uh, Raheem Mostert being ahead of him, it's not like you're looking at someone who's who is there and stuck as that RB1 and has a lot of experience being that guy. Um, I just think that the gap between Mostert and, and Coleman is pretty wide, uh, for, for, or too wide from an ADP standpoint. And we know that Tevin Coleman can catch passes out of the backfield as well. So all of that coming together, Tevin Coleman makes a lot of sense. Um, and the other thing that I found within that article, too, is that uh, age doesn't seem to be a big factor in guys who are really outperforming their ADP, running backs who are outperforming their ADP. So uh, Coleman being a little bit older as opposed to some of the rookies, um, you know, I'm not necessarily favoring the rookies over Coleman in that instance. But I do think that this year in particular, there's a lot of interesting rookies because we see a lot of times the second and third round guys, the day two picks are generally rising in ADP as we get closer and closer to the season and even right after the draft. I mean, last season we saw David Montgomery drafted really high. Uh, Daryl Henderson was drafted fairly high. Uh, but we're not seeing that as much this year because a lot of those running backs ended up walking into what looks like a committee. So I think that there is some uh, value in getting some of those rookies like a Cam Akers or a Keyshawn Vaughn uh, because they're, they're dropping in some drafts. You know, I got Keyshawn Vaughn in a, dr- a draft I'm doing right now at the end of the seventh round, and I'll take that all day because the opportunity cost isn't that high there. And we know, again, if you look at the parameters and the things that I look at when spotting those big value plays, he should be a pass catcher. We know that Ronald Jones has struggled there. He's in a good offense, which is obviously great. Um, but he's in a, an ambiguous situation where a lot of people think that Ronald Jones is still going to be the guy. So uh, definitely looking there as well. So I, I would definitely, you know, from a, a team offense standpoint, I like San, targeting San Francisco. I don't mind targeting the Rams. Even if you like Daryl Henderson, that's fine. Um, and then individually, I do think that some of those rookie running backs are kind of intriguing. It's really interesting to hear you talk about the gap or the the really lack of gap between some of these guys in these perceived committees um, or some of them that should be uh, smaller gaps that are actually big, big right now for ADP. Obviously, over the course of the summer, uh, things are going to change. ADPs are going to change leading up to August, September and all that. But just looking at it now, I was going through this list and I, I got to say there's a lot more teams that I think an argument could be made that they have the potential to be a committee than I actually thought. Yeah. Uh, it feels like it's it's the bulk of them at this point. This point, very few uh, of your Zeke Elliotts out there who is just like, and even him, I don't, I, I can't say with 100% certainty this year uh, that there won't be a little bit more uh, competition in that backfield. But it almost got me thinking like, is this the year to consider zero RB with some of these um, backfield committees? And maybe would it be wise to potentially take the guy who has the further out ADP uh, that you can get and, and take a bunch of them? I don't know. That's something that I looked at and I thought, I don't know. I like Mark Ingram. Now, if I took Mark Ingram as my running back one because I wanted the lean zero RB, maybe I could fill up with a few other guys that are these really low tier, your Darrell Hendersons, for example. I don't know, is there any kind of strategy like that that you're looking at with this? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's really valid. You know, a lot of times uh, people will just look at what happened in the most recent season and sort of base their draft strategy off that. Uh, whereas I try to stay stagnant and sort of react to what the market is telling me. Um, and in this case, I, I think you're right that the market is at least saying that this hypothetically would be a year where you would go zero RB because you're zigging when other people are zagging. Uh, I also did a study recently, not to tout the, the studies that I've done recently, <laughs> but I did one on, on looking at league winning players. So essentially, I looked at uh, where there are, are continuous drop offs when looking at postseason results and saying, okay, here's a list of all the, you know, the RB1, the RB2, the RB3, et cetera, and how many points they typically score. And then same with wide receiver. What we generally have found, or what I've generally found, is that after RB10 is where we start to see sort of that, that drop off flatten a bit so those players aren't giving you as much of an advantage anymore against their position and then that happens at wide receiver eight so if you look back since 2011 at all the running backs so that's nine years so 90 different running back league winning seasons and 72 different wide receiver league winning seasons the majority and it's 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 so much heavier at wide receiver than it is running back but the majority of early round wide receivers are the ones that are actually giving you that top eight performance uh, you have a higher hit rate of getting that performance at the running back or at the wide receiver position, uh, and you're more able to find those league-winning running backs in the middle rounds than you are in late rounds than you are at wide receiver. Now, I don't want to say that that means that you should just go wide receiver zero RB and just go wide receiver wide receiver throughout the first five rounds of your draft because running backs are giving you a little bit more of a point edge, uh, so their their expected value is still a little bit stronger. Um, but what it does tell you is that if you're relying on because a lot of people are going like. RB times four to start their drafts this year, right? Like they're they're going running back heavy, and it's 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 borderline crazy because if you look at the hit rates, it just doesn't line up. It doesn't look good. I mean, if if that's your plan, that means that you're relying on some of these middle and late round wide receivers. There's almost a there. there I think there were 187 total wide receivers drafted between uh, round six and round ten over the last nine years, and only three of them finishes top eight wide receivers. So you have a 1.7% chance of a wide receiver actually finishing as a top eight guy in those rounds. Your odds aren't very good. Obviously, you know, best ball changes things, et cetera. Um, but uh, I, I just, I, I think it makes a lot of sense from that perspective to sort of lean more wide receiver heavy than you probably would think after what we saw last season. Yeah, that makes complete sense. Mm -hmm. um, and is it just, do you suppose, this is a little bit narrative, Driven, but do you suppose it's a little bit of the talent versus opportunity between wide receivers? You lean a little bit more maybe on talent. Running backs, you lean a little bit more on opportunity. Is that just, I mean, is that it? Because those guys that are drafted that are wide receivers in those later rounds, they can be very talented for sure. But I feel like a lot of those guys, like Preston Williams is a great example of somebody who I think is very talented and belongs on a lot of redraft rosters at his current ADP but you know is he going to get you that top 12 top 24 even right. uh, finish probably not right right um, yeah yeah I, I, I think that, that I think, yeah. yeah I think that that what you're basically saying is that we have an overconfidence in our ability to pinpoint those players and I think it's even more so at the wide receiver position because it is more talent driven uh, objectively, I mean, you you need to, you know, targets are a talent statistic. You need to be able to get open in order to see a target. Um, and because it is a, it's more talent-oriented, uh, we seem to think, oh, I know who's good and I know who's not good, as opposed to just reading what a coach wants to do with a running back, right? Um, and so from that perspective, I think that we become way overconfident 
with which wide receivers are actually usable. You know, we enter a season and we say, oh, look at how deep the wide receiver position is. It's because there, there are three or four wide receivers on the field at all times these days, right? We're just, they're, they're always out there. That doesn't mean that they're going to be predictable. It doesn't mean that they're always going to be usable. Uh, and, and as a result, we get a little bit too comfortable in drafting guys like Sterling Shepard, who I think is a value. He's fine. But, you know, I think that we get a little bit too comfortable drafting those kind, kinds of guys as every week starters. Totally fair. Mm-hmm. I, Dustin, I have one more question. Then I'm going to let you because I know Dustin <laughs> had a, a handful of teams that he was very interested in, uh, specifically c- trying to decipher what that backfield will look mm-hmm. like. Um, but I am genuinely curious. Like, um, so when you are determining some of these guys, um, and, and in terms of you talked about like listen to what the coach is going to say for the use of this running back how much do you put into coach speak for a running back specifically you know when the coach comes out like the rams they came out and said that they wanted to use and this was pre-nfl draft that they wanted a committee and they wanted multiple guys well they went out and got a guy to form that committee with uh with darrell henderson so I guess, how much do you let coach speak influence you specifically for that position? Yeah, no, I mean, look, if we're, if we're looking at this realistically and like when, when I'm building projections and, and we, we have to pay attention to what teams are saying about running backs because running backs, you know, just intuitively, they have to be on the field and be called a play, have a play call for them uh, in order for them to score fantasy points and to be on the field. It's a coaching decision. Whereas at wide receiver, it, there, there obviously is a, a depth chart involved where you have three plus wide receivers on the field almost, you know, sixty plus percent of the time. So these wide receivers are on the field more frequently, and then if they get open, then obviously they'll get the ball because they're they're open. Um, but to, to answer your question, I, I think that people sometimes are too specific when they listen to coach speak, and then the people who aren't too specific almost just ignore it completely because they think that it's completely irrelevant. Whereas I live completely in the gray area and it's such a lame answer, but I think it's, it's less. So, so a good example is Frank Reich. He comes out and he says that Naheem Hines is going to have a game this season, maybe multiple games where he catches 10 plus passes. Right. Mm -hmm. So now everyone starts to extrapolate that and think that he meant that Naheem Hines is going to catch 160 balls this year (laughs) or, or what have you. And to me, it's, it's less about, the fact that uh, less about the the exact projection for Naheem Hines and more about understanding that Frank Reich is going to want to use Naheem Hines in some way. Naheem Hines isn't going to have a snap share that's under 5% this year. It's going to be a lot higher. So that just impacts projection. That limits Jonathan Taylor's ceiling maybe a little bit. Um, and then the same thing goes for, you know, reading what coaches say to the media prior to the draft is really telling sometimes. A good example of that is with Bruce Arians. I mentioned Keyshawn Vaughn earlier. Uh, Bruce Arians, before the draft, he came out and said that he wanted a pass-catching back and he wanted a guy who could play all three downs. And what does he do? He goes out in the draft. He gets Keyshawn Vaughn, who is, who, who is a, a player who a lot of people would agree is not someone who uh, is a spectacular athlete, is this elite runner, even an elite receiver. But he was so solid across the board. He did everything. Right, he he was able to he caught a lot of passes in terms of reception share at Vandy. He did a lot on the ground at Vandy against good competition too, with a bad offensive line. Um, he was a, a, a fine prospect. I'm not going to tout him as a Jonathan Taylor type prospect or or, or anything like that. But he was a, a, a very solid prospect. And when you have the head coach of that team who 
who's, who's influencing the offense in a strong way, saying what he did about the running back position, you naturally should be matching what they did at the draft, which was draft Keyshawn Vaughn in the third round, to what he said back in February. And I'm not saying that Keyshawn Vaughn is, is locked in as the, the three-down guy, but I'm saying we have to recognize that his range of outcomes actually is pretty high, when I think a lot of people don't necessarily recognize that. Mm-hmm. Sounds like you're basically just advocating for like intelligent listening instead of just <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Here. like yeah exactly right. I mean, I, I think the way that I sort of approach fantasy in general is that um, you know I, I I am definitely data oriented, right? I, I come from the angle of looking at analytics and looking at data. But to me, if I see a correlation or if I see uh, something in the data that that seems really closely tied in some way, or if I'm I'm, I'm always trying to put a narrative around that so it makes sense. You know, I don't want to blindly just mm-hmm. say this correlates to that. Therefore, this matters a lot. Uh, I want to make sure that it matters in real football. And I think that that goes for how we're evaluating players and what we're hearing in the media and what coaches are saying is that if it's logical, then sure, that's a range of outcome situation for Keyshawn Vaughn because it is logical. You know, Keyshawn Vaughn did a whole lot and people can hate on Keyshawn Vaughn as a player but then I would say that you're probably being a little bit overconfident in your ability to, to, to evaluate talent because that's not an easy thing to do either, you know? So to me, it's just kind of taking all of these different inputs and, and mashing them together and making sure that it's logical and makes sense. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to yeah. say it. Nobody else will. That's smart. That's controversial <laughs> <laughs> opinion, but that's a smart move. Dustin, you had some uh, specific backfields that you wanted to dive into, right? Yeah, yeah. Let's just uh, – we've touched on a few of them already, so we won't go over those. But, yeah, there's a couple I wanted to specifically, uh, JJ, get some insight uh, from you. So let's start off with uh, Buffalo. I know everybody's really high on Devin Singletary. I mean, he had a very solid season last year uh, as a rookie. But then they bring in Zach Moss this year. Uh, Frank Gore is gone. And, and, you know, Zach Moss has a lot of similarities to Devin Singletary. Uh, I, I, I think he was comp to him, you know, quite often. Um, how do you see that backfield shaking out? Yeah, it, it's, it's kind of strange to me because Devin Singletary had one of the better running back seasons in terms of just efficiency and, and, and end-of-season production um, per touch that mm-hmm. we've seen. And, you know, just in general in a, in a while. Um, and it's weird to me that it almost went from the fantasy community loving Devin Singletary like midseason. And then at the end of the season, for whatever reason, I don't really know what triggered it, but they, the, the fantasy community was like, oh, I don't want Devin Singletary. Devin Singletary is too small. You can't do the blah, blah, blah. Um, and it was weird because to me, entering the league, Devin Singletary was a small back who ran slow. Uh, that's always a, a, a red flag to me. Um, and he, his college production profile, he didn't really flash as a receiver. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was those things are just red flags. I didn't like Devin Singletary entering the league at all. I watch him for two weeks. I'm like, okay, I love Devin Singletary. Right? <laughs> like, like I, was, I was wrong about that evaluation. Devin Singletary is pretty good. Uh, but, like, the, the way that Buffalo used him as a receiver last year was really, really intriguing to the point where I thought going into this offseason, if they didn't do anything at the running back position that was substantial, Devin Singletary had that three-down upside of, of being more of a workhorse than, than he was this past season. Um, but then they go and get Zach Moss, who I think is a fine. he's fine as a prospect. I don't think that he's anything special per se. But again, I'm not someone who's going to 
over uh, or be, be overly confident in my own evaluation of, of talent because it's a, a crapshoot for the most part. Um, I, I didn't love Zach Moss. I didn't hate Zach Moss. Uh, but if you look at what they're building, uh, last season, first off, we know that Josh Allen steals a lot of goal line work. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's, a, that's a problem. Uh, last season, though, Frank Gore was seeing a lot of that goal line work. Devin Singletary only had two goal line rushes all season long. Uh, he, was, he was used a lot between the 20s, um, and that's great. And he was used more as a receiver. We were on a run-heavy team, naturally. Uh, you add Stefan Diggs to that offense. So the receiving volume might dip a little bit, even if they want to use him as the receiving back in that backfield. And then you have a bigger-bodied guy in Zach Moss who can be the goal line player, along with Josh Allen already being that goal line guy, essentially. Um, it just it screams that Devin Singletary, to me, without some sort of injury or something happening, is a very solid RB2 who could be an R- or maybe a, a floor of an RB3. But I, I have a hard time seeing that path to upside unless something happens in terms of injury or if they just run him differently than I'm expecting. Um, and and for, from, from that perspective, I think he's a little bit overvalued in fantasy. Right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's currently going. I mean, this is um, I know ADP is different from site to site, but just looking at fantasy pros, his ADP is sitting at RB22, uh, overall ADP 44, which seems high. Yeah. And I don't know if you put any stake into the fact that people are saying that, you know, Zach Moss is basically the Frank Gore replacement, but obviously he's younger and fresher. And so therefore he's going to do what Frank Gore did, but do it better. No. Um, and if that's the case, I would much rather have Moss at his ADP, which is RB 50, uh, you know, basically at the end of your draft, I'd, I guess I'd rather take a shot on somebody like that. Not yes. Yeah, and I would say, too, you know, I, I going into the draft, because I have one Devin Singletary share across my Dynasty Leagues, I'm like, eh, I don't, it doesn't really matter what happens here. I, I'd probably rather than not draft a running back, but we'll see what they do. And to me, to me, Zach Moss, of all the players in the, that they could have drafted in the first three rounds, is is probably the, the one player that I didn't care that much in terms of competition for Devin Singletary. Um, but I do think that we have to be cognizant of the fact, to, to your point, that like what if Zach Moss is really good you know one of his comps one of Zach Moss's comps is Kareem Hunt like a very strong comp for Zach Moss uh and that would be frightening if they got a Kareem <laughs> Hunt type player in that backfield I think he's more of the David Montgomery uh type um so I'm not as nervous but you know I Zach Moss could just end up being really good and that should should lower your expectation for Devin Singletary mm-hmm mm-hmm yeah I agree um I want to move on to Detroit here, uh, only because I have a few carry-on Johnson shares, and everyone seems to think he's dead now uh, with with Detroit. So selfish, Doctor. I know. Like, help me with my fantasy team. Well, this is my podcast, so I'm allowed. Um, you know what? DeAndre Swift, very talented running back. Uh, you know, carry-on Johnson went healthy, and and you know my big thing is you're injured until you're not i mean uh carry on has been injured you know the first couple seasons he's been in the league here it's been pretty significant both years uh so that does worry me but when he was healthy i mean he did ball out pretty well and show up uh he was you know had decent uh um play in the receiving game as well so how do you see that backfield uh playing out here yeah you know this is a classic case of we might love the player. I love the player. I think Carrion Johnson's really good. Um, 
But if you read sort of the, the, the evidence that's surrounding Johnson, and I, I talked about this a good bit on my podcast, I think back in January a bit, um, because he was a, he was, a, I, I was scared of what was going to happen with carry on Johnson, not because of, you know, there's this dissonance constantly where we like players and we, we really want them to thrive, not just because they're on our fantasy team, but because we believe that they're good. Um, and we have to still be trying to read what teams and coaches think. Um, and a lot of times it's not even just, you know, we just, we already talked through like reading, uh, through the media and the kinds of quotes that they're saying and, and figuring things out that way. But oftentimes you can just look at their actions and see uh, how they're feeling about a guy. And, and with on Johnson, consistently not seeing an, an early down workload that we would like, right? Um, at least when, when he's been healthy over these first two years. Um, and then finally last year, there was like three straight games where they start giving him the, a true workhorse bell cow workload. And then he gets hurt, right? Mm-hmm. And so then from there... There, there's a direct tie to, you know, think about how humans think. There's this direct tie to carry-on can't handle a full workload. And then you start to hear rumblings that they're going to add a running back or they're going to do something maybe in the draft or in, the, in free agency. Melvin Gordon was even tied to there for a little bit. Um, that that at least at least brought to our attention that uh, this backfield is likely going to be split. And then obviously they spent pretty strong draft equity mm-hmm. and draft capital to get DeAndre Swift. So. The way that I see it is, I'd obviously, I, I would rather have Swift than Johnson because you're looking at a situation where they did sp- spend that draft capital. Uh, Swift, I thought, was fine. I don't think he's as special of a talent as some people did. Um, I think he's fine. I, I, I liked him more because I liked the idea of him going in the first round. And I was like, yeah, I'll take a first round running back. Um, but to me, to me, uh, I, Swift would be the guy that I would want. But I think Johnson's still going to be involved. It, it's annoying, but I think that Matt Patricia and company really want this backfield to be very heavily split like a 60 40 annoying out of our minds type of split for fantasy football <laughs> it seems a little mm-hmm. bit like like baby new england there was like oh we're we're gonna get yeah. everybody involved everybody's gonna yeah. get the opportunity here which it's is so great annoying. for real football but not so much exactly this year yeah jake do you have a team or two you want to talk about here for running backs you know who i'm really interested in uh to get your gauge on is baltimore um, just speaking entirely for redraft purposes here, as I alluded it to it a little bit as only a kind of a joke where I might want Mark Ingram. Uh, if I decide to veer in that way for a redraft strategy and I say, you know what, first three rounds, I want to go tight end. I want to get my George Kittle or my Travis Kelsey. And then I want some of those high end wide receivers that you're talking about. Cause I know that they're going to produce like top 12 guys. And then I'm in the fourth round back of the fourth and I'm staring at Mark Ingram I think yeah that sounds great because the guy has finished as a top 12 running back four of his last five seasons he feels like one of those perpetually undervalued guys um, and his ADP is fine uh, yeah. but J.K. Dobbins is no joke so I guess my I'm curious for you from just this year's perspective Dynasty obviously uh, totally different uh, for right. you there but um, it, do you expect close to a 50-50 with those guys this year between Ingram and, and Dobbins? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I would think that it would – it would. It's, I think it's going to lean Ingram a little bit more, honestly, uh, more more than uh, probably the consensus thinks. I, I, I think that of the two, Dobbins is more mispriced right now. Um, but I, I also – I will say about the Baltimore backfield in general, you have a lot of things working against that team. 
Uh, I would say, though, that, so last season they, they, they scored 58 total touchdowns. Uh, generally speaking, year over year, we don't see offenses maintain that kind of touchdown total at all. Uh, the average drop, I think, of I want to I want to say of, of teams that had 55 or more touchdowns over the last nine years, the average drop the following year was like 13 or 14 touchdowns. Um, and so, but that also is skewed a little bit because we had like crazy, crazy offenses that ended up scoring, uh, you know, 70 touchdowns and stuff like the the, the Manning Broncos <laughs> and like Mahomes a couple years ago. Um, but what that means is we're, we're it's unlikely that Baltimore is gonna gonna post 58 touchdowns. Maybe they maybe they're closer to 50, which is still really really high. Um, but that's still gonna do something to the team. And then if you look at their pass to run touchdown ratio last year, uh, Lamar Jackson had that nine percent touchdown rate. That's probably not. I mean, that, that probably that's definitely not gonna continue. Um, so maybe they maybe those touchdowns skew run heavy a little bit more, which would help Ingram. Um, but there's a touchdown regression that's gonna hit. And then I, I, the, the big thing with Baltimore and their running backs to me is I almost always am targeting pass-catching running backs. Um, and and that, that team just generally – I do think they're going to be more pass-heavy this year than they were last year, whether it's because of game script, Lamar Jackson's development. Uh, there's a lot of reason to think that they're going to be in just natural regression. Uh, there's, there's a lot of reason to think they'll be more pass-heavy. But even last year, they were below average in running back target share. Um, and so even if they are more pass-heavy, that's still – uh, they're still not going to be very pass heavy, and that's still a small pie overall for those running backs to, to get something from. Uh, and then on top of that, I do think J.K. Dobbins could play that role uh, just as well as, as Mark Ingram could, right? Um, so overall, like, it's weird because that's a backfield that you absolutely would want to target from a fantasy perspective because Lamar Jackson's their quarterback. Um, right. but, but at the same time, I think that there's a lot of things compounding that tell you that uh, both guys might be a little bit risky but if one, i mean obviously if one of them you know there's there's some fragility there if one of them ends up going down then all of a sudden the other one has that top 15 top 12 type upside so i i get it from that perspective i think the upside and the ceiling is there um and they, they should give you a floor you know mark ingram should give you something each week so it's not like you're getting nothing for he's not like a true handcuff or anything like that um but that that's sort of my read on the situation i, I generally lean more towards the guys who are gonna gonna catch a little bit more passes so going off of that, and this doesn't have to refer directly to the Baltimore backfield, but what you're talking about with, you know, that backfield should be somewhat of a, of a kind of ideal situation. Maybe it's not going to work out perfectly, but are there certain backfields where you look at them and you say, you know what, maybe, maybe I will be the guy who takes both um, on the off chance that it's not going to be a handcuff situation, right? You're not drafting them to be the handcuff to the other guy. Because for me, I, I hate doing that. I hate the roster clogging nature of that, where you're basically hoping for the front guy to get injured so that it validates you, you know, drafting the backup. And then good for me, I did it. Yeah. Um, but in this situation, it's not really a handcuff. It's just kind of a, who's it going to be? Like I'm thinking maybe with the Rams. Is there a world where you even see yourself drafting both Akers and Henderson? Or from another team, you're like, you know what? I'll see, because week one, I'll know. I'll know what happens on the field. Then if I have to drop a guy, I drop a guy. Yeah. So I, I always – so I get this question a lot, actually. Um, and it's a really tough one to answer. There's been a study on number fire. I didn't write it. Um, Justin Freeman, who's on the Twitterverse, I think he works for – writes for Numberball now. Uh, but he did an article that basically showed um, that you shouldn't do that. Uh, that essentially, you know, if you capture a backfield, if you will, um, it – 
of course, those ambiguous committees someone emerges at times. But when you look at the odds of you pinpointing that backfield and finding that backfield and the amount of times that it actually happens and you find you know, a guy really, really emerges, the, the odds are just not in your favor. What's in your favor is to target multiple backfields and target one player in those multiple backfields that are ambiguous, that are in committees, and then hope that you either hit with one of those guys or both of those guys. Because obviously you're limiting your ceiling if you're drafting guys from the same backfield. It seems like you're 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 not but you you sort of are because if you let's say that you're looking at the rams and you're looking at the 49ers right so you have you have most let's just assume most or jdp is a little bit lower than it is right now uh so you're looking at most and coleman and then acres and daryl henderson and let's say that you just draft all four of those guys um all of a sudden there's a, a real chance that they do have committees in both of those backfields and not one of those players emerges as opposed to, I'm going to pick off Cam Akers, I'm going to pick off Tevin Coleman, and all of a sudden I have two more running back spots that I could be looking at other backfields of other guys that could emerge. So my odds are just inherently a little bit higher in doing that. Um, so I generally don't capture backfields, no. I mean, I also come from the perspective, though, that I manage way more fantasy teams than I should. Uh, so it's, it's a lot easier for me to look at this from the standpoint of, like, portfolio management in a way where, like, I'm able to say, you know, if, if I had one team, one fantasy team, I, maybe I approach it differently. I'm not, I'm not totally sure. Like I, I'm not in that position, so I can't really say for sure how I would handle it. I just know that odds wise, it's not necessarily in your favor to capture that back. I'm glad you mm-hmm. said that. And I'm actually glad that you referenced the 49ers in this. Cause I recall Dustin, remember last off season, all we were talking about was obviously who's the guy in San mm-hmm. Fran. And I had brought up specifically, I was like, Hey, I don't know. Maybe you just get all the guys on your team. What squad? <laughs> you know, and that worked out super well for everybody who listened to that. Yeah. A good um, example of that. A good example of that was actually uh, sort of before Devonte Freeman broke out. Even after Devonte Freeman broke out, but like the the, the Freeman and Tevin Coleman backfield, mm-hmm. and people would draft both of them, and and essentially, especially when you spend a lot of draft capital, because at some at one point Freeman was a third rounder and Coleman was a fifth rounder, and now all of a sudden you're spending basically your rb2 spot on the same on this uh, on a running back on the same team right and if you look at their week-to-week output uh sure you were one of those guys was hitting every week and everyone's so fixated on the one guy hitting but the other guy wasn't your your overall output in that backfield if you're starting both of those guys was not good it wasn't good at all uh you're really hoping uh, you're sort of hoping for an injury for one of those guys to really emerge so that's just another example you know draft capital obviously matters a lot there too what I'm hearing is draft Jeff Wilson because, you know, <laughs> the lowest risk possible in the San Francisco backfield. Just draft everyone as late as you possibly can. Everyone. <laughs> All right. I want to touch on just one Is more backfield here. Um, I wasn't going to touch on them, but uh, I changed my mind here. Uh, I want to talk about Green Bay only because we are Green Bay homers here, Jake and I. And I know, JJ, you are like president of the Aaron Jones fan club here. Uh, I don't really see this becoming, uh, you know, A.J. Dillon really taking a, a big workload this year, per se. Uh, maybe maybe more of a next year thing, and, and he's kind of insurance for maybe Aaron Jones leaving after this season. Uh, what are your thoughts on Aaron Jones uh, this season and then moving forward? Yeah, you know, I've had a, I've had a wild ride with Aaron Jones. So I, 
I, uh, I I was really into him as a prospect, like really into him. Like like anytime he took the field as a rookie, even before that big breakout game, the, the primetime game that he had, uh, it was a, a pants off moment for me whenever that all happened. <laughs> but uh, it was it was it was just like he's just like one of my guys, right? And then last year, he was consistently a sell candidate for me on my podcast and my and what I was writing and, and analyzing because of touchdown regression and that made me look really dumb at the end of the season because Aaron Jones dominated in the fantasy playoffs but um yeah so the, the way that I, I see that is they started to utilize him a lot more as a receiver down the stretch as you guys know and it wasn't even it wasn't even the the split with and without Devonte. it was they were they were utilizing him a lot more as a, as a receiver in that offense and I think a lot of people just look at Jamal Williams and they think that that's the role that he plays um, but to me, the A.J. Dillon draft pick was, was more uh, a sign that Jamal Williams is definitely gone next season than Aaron Jones is definitely gone next season. Uh, I, I see him more as the future of – I think they, they get a deal done with Aaron Jones. I know this is more of a dynasty angle. Mm-hmm. But I see them getting a deal done with Aaron Jones because of how they utilized him towards the end of last year and that really complementing A.J. Dillon and what A.J. Dillon does well, uh, which is just be a bulldozer. Um, and so, to me – this season in particular, my projections still like Aaron Jones because of that receiving element, because he should, still should be the, the, the top guy in that backfield on early downs. Um, I think what A.J. Dillon did was just hurt Jamal Williams completely. Jamal Williams had really strong standalone value for a lot of last season. Mm-hmm. I mean, there were there was a, a stretch in November where Jamal Williams was just a better fantasy asset than Aaron Jones was, right? And so to me, to me, it's, it's, it's more of a Jamal Williams was always undervalued by the by the fantasy community um but now he's just sort of obsolete because of this this uh aj dillon uh draft pick i refuse to draft aj dillon uh just out of uh spite of how the draft planned out yeah it's not 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 flat out not gonna do it just just you know because that'll prove something um but no it's very interesting what you're talking about in terms of uh aaron jones you know it doesn't seem like you project him to be as hurt by this as some other folks have projected him to be, which makes sense as the captain again of the Aaron yes. Jones fan club. Um, but uh, I, I think it's it's really interesting to just consider like when you're looking at this is why we wanted to do this uh, topic so badly is because it's one of the toughest I've like personally it's just the toughest for me to wrap my head around. And there's so many variables and so many different strategies that you can try and apply for this um, when you're looking at these kind of backfields. One I just wanted to throw out really quick as just kind of a this or that, because their ADPs are ridiculously close. And I'm not convinced that I want either of these guys because of the offense that they're in. But just hypothetically, Jordan Howard. I knew you were going. I knew you were going. <laughs> it's crazy how close they are. It is. It is. And do you want um, honestly? Do you want to touch either of them? No, I don't. Um, I, I maybe I regret it, but I, I just I don't see a, a strong path to one of those guys emerging if, if they're both healthy. I think that if I'm um, if I, I mean I play mostly PPR formats, it's such a lame answer. But Burrito would be my PPR target, and Jordan Howard might be my standard target because I think he'll probably see more goal line work. But um, they're they're both they're both honestly probably undervalued backs in terms of talent right um but i just it it just doesn't do it for me i just don't see where the ceiling is you want to target guys that that are in objectively good offenses going into the season there's just a lot of of ambiguity there maybe that's a good thing and that's why their adp is as low as it is so i you know i I come from the angle of like 
I can't I can't hate on you if you're drafting one of those guys in like the tenth round because it's the tenth round. I don't care. You can you could draft anyone and you can draft AJ Dillon in the tenth round. I won't care. <laughs> uh, maybe a little, but uh, so so that's. But if you're if you're taking one of them over like a Tevin Coleman, um, that's where I draw. You know, I would rather go with like a Tevin Coleman type who I can see that path to upside a little bit clearer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Um, Jake, do you have anything else with the backfields here? Uh, I think we have a handful of other questions for you, JJ, if you wouldn't mind answering a few more for us. Yeah, of course. Let's do it. All right. I think we've got we've delved into those backfields plenty. Yeah. All right. So um, you can speak to either redraft or dynasty, but um, your choice. How do you like to construct a roster? What's your optimum roster construction when you're drafting? And then how do you like to approach trades then after the draft or mid-season? Yeah, so I generally almost always go with some sort of modified zero RB approach. Um, that's if I'm in a league. Obviously, league format structure uh, will, will change the way that I draft. You know, mm-hmm. if you're in a standard league with two wide receivers, two running backs, uh, tight end, and no flex, then that's going to be a lot different in, in your approach than uh, if you're in a league with three wide receivers, a flex, and two running backs, and it's full PPR. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I play more in the latter. Uh, so as a result, I'm going more modified zero RB where I'll get that running back in the first round, cross my fingers that he stays healthy and is a league winning type back. Um, maybe I go RB RB. Uh, that's fine too, but then I'll just pound the wide receiver position. That's generally uh, the approach that I take uh, in, in team building. Um, and in dynasty, I, I'm still very much uh, build with wide receivers type type dynasty player, but I, <laughs> I, I, I tend to do the same thing. Like, I mentioned it earlier, a lot of people will change their draft strategy based on what happened the previous year, and you can look at a decade worth of ADP data and see that after the 2015 season, when the running back position sucked, wide receiver ADP at the beginning of drafts was really high. And then all of a sudden, running back the running back position did a little bit better, and then the opposite happens. We're just all reactionary, but I've I, I've had the same strategy this whole time. You know, like, it, it hasn't really changed. You have to change the market, but let's be honest, the the, the beginning of your draft, you don't really adjust that much. There's not that much difference between the way that I'm going to pick players at the beginning of a draft and the way that you're going to pick players at the beginning of the draft. Mm-hmm. What really matters is how you're constructing that team once you hit round four to round ten and, and what types of positions you're taking. So at the tight end position, for, exa- for, for example, I'm generally waiting all the time uh, because of the opportunity cost involved in getting I, – I, to me, you either get a guy early or – don't get one. Don't don't worry about the position at all. The the uh, historically middle round tight ends have been the worst bets in fantasy football. Period. Uh, just the Van McDonald conundrum. From yeah, right. right. Everybody got <laughs> Vance in the middle rounds, and they're yeah, really yeah. Not, yeah. It, it's it's wild though. If you look at the correlation between preseason ADP and postseason result at the tight end position, so you're looking at where these guys were drafted in overall ADP versus how many fantasy points they scored over the last ten years. There's been zero correlation between tight ends ranked one through twelve, which means you could just throw a tight end twelve, and and based on that, he would score as many points as the tight end one. But but if you look at tight end one to tight end six, there is a correlation, and the main reason is there's no correlation between the tight end one to tight end twelve because the middle guys are so bad. They're just they're they're not doing anything for your fantasy team. You're drafting Greg Olson, the the geriatric Greg Olson in 2016, <laughs> and you're getting you're getting a floor at the position, but that doesn't matter. It just it doesn't matter if you're getting 
a lot of catches from your tight end without much juice behind those catches. So uh, the same goes for, for uh, quarterback, though, for the most part, too, which I think the quarterback market is becoming a little bit more efficient. So I'm I'm actually and, and people are drafting them later and later. So I'm actually OK with getting a Kyler Murray or Dak Prescott this year more than I ever thought I would be. Um, but the quarterback position historically QBs five through 10 in ADP have actually been worse than QBs 12 to 15 in total fantasy points scored uh, per, per guy in those tiers over the last 10 years. It's just, it's just how things work out when you have a onesie position or a position where only uh, starting one of them in your lineup, the, the, the opportunity cost is so large when you draft them early because you can get these guys late and that stretches the amount of point advantage that they're giving you across many, many rounds, as opposed to, you know, your wide receiver 30s off the board in round six. So there, there's, it dries up fast. Um, so, you know, long story short, uh, I, I will go with mostly a modified zero RB approach. Um, I'll, I'll get those positions that are in high demand, and I'll usually go with a late-round quarterback or tight end strategy as well. Now, so, so the second part of that, and Dustin, if I may, I'd like to actually get a little bit more specific about it. So, like, the draft is done. You're mid-season. Wait, yeah. notice how I didn't even wait for Dustin to actually answer that question. <laughs> I just rolled him. I A.J. dylan you, Dustin, and I apologize. Uh, but So you're, the draft is done. Your roster's set. You're looking to trade. Um, I'm not even curious about like your trade strategy i've listened to you talk about trades on your podcast i think you've given the best advice that you could possibly give about trades themselves Thanks. just look at the other team's roster yeah it drives me nuts <laughs> right look at mm-hmm. what they want put yourself yes. in their shoes what do you think that you would want to receive right Simple. yes Simple. Um, but you super think. overlooked by a lot of a lot of right. my personal trade partners i'll say um but so uh, assume that you've done the legwork and you've decided, look, I've looked at their roster, I've looked at mine. I know how I want this trade to go. I know who I want. I know who I want to send. But I do, I'm curious. Like, if I'm in a league with you, what is your your uh, your trade etiquette, if we will? Are you kind of uh, like, I'm going to spam offers until you just no. admit defeat? Are you a long conversationalist? Like, do you ask people first? Like, hey, I'm thinking about throwing this offer out. Yeah. What do you think about it? What, yeah, what, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a conversationalist for sure. Um, I want to I want to establish that relationship um, and let them know that I am. It, it, it's not even I'm not even being I'm being genuine whenever I do this, too, because I think that that you can come across as salesy and that you're literally trying to sell them something. Um, but to me, what I generally do is I'll hit them up, whatever, especially if it's a more competitive league, I'll hit them up and I'll just start chatting with them about like how they feel about certain players. And, uh, if, if, and usually I'm hitting them up based on, I have excess running backs, you need running backs. So I know that I can help you in some way. Right. So if you're approaching them and you're saying, I know that I can help you and, and they look at your roster and you're like, damn, yeah, you can help me. Then, then obviously there's, there's going to be some sort of connection there. Right. Um, and then from there, uh, I'm really just trying to extract value, but I'm doing that in a way where, and I hope any league mates that are hearing this would agree, um, I, I propose fair trades. And I, I'm not saying that as like a look at me, pat me on the back, I'm this great trade partner. I just think it's really important. I, I can't tell you how many times I've proposed trades and they're accepted without even a back and forth. And, and But that's important. That's the way it should be because it tells you that you're recognizing their needs and you at the same time are doing your own analysis saying, 
I know I'm still getting a fair deal that's making my team better after this. Mm-hmm. And so it's a win-win. Every trade should be a win-win at the time of the trade. You know, post-trade might not be a win-win because someone gets hurt, et cetera, et cetera. But this is another reason why I don't like same position for same position trades. I don't like when people say, I'll give you Devontae Parker if you give me Christian Kirk, right? Uh, because in the end, someone absolutely is losing that trade. There, there's there's no way that someone doesn't lose that trade because one of those players is going to score more fantasy points than the other. Whereas if you have a trade where it's a two-for-one and you're giving a, a team that needs depth that depth, or if you have a trade even where you're downgrading on one position because you're beefier there and you're upgrading another position, uh, those are win-wins even if you know the outcomes aren't necessarily as... Uh, maybe look favorable to one side, they can still be win-wins based on team construction and what those teams needed. So to me, I think it's really, really important to have those conversations with your league members uh, and to just be open and honest about how you're reading their team. Like, It's fine. You know, I'll, I'll, I will literally tell people, this is why I'm doing this trade. Like, I, I'm laying it out for them to let them know why I want this trade to be done. Like, especially in like my home league where we're in like our 17th year and I do this for a living, they're going to question any trade proposal that they get. Right. Like, it's just, a, this is my job. It's like, it's like, if I, like if I have a friend, someone in the league is a doctor. And if we're talking like medical advice, of course, he's going to be right more than I am. Of course, he's going to understand things more than I do. I just, I understand it more than these guys do. Cause this is what I do. This is my job. So they naturally question it, but I have to walk through and oftentimes in leagues like that, though, I have to take deals that I don't feel comfortable taking because I just want a deal to get done. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's that's generally my approach. Like you have to prove to them that like, hey, guys, I'm cool here. I'm cool. Don't worry about me. Like you'll take a, a trade that maybe somebody would perceive to be a loss, quote unquote, just yeah. so you can kind of put it out there like, I'm, I'm good, guys. Like, we, yeah. You can trade with me. Yeah, and they, they, I mean, immediately, anytime I do a trade in that league, it, it, I, I'm the one who got the best deal. Just like... <laughs> It's just, come on, guys, come on. You got Jeff Wilson, and, and yeah. all you had to trade away was Devontae Adams? Right, How exactly. How did you even make that one work, JJ? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> That's crazy. All right, so I've got one more question for you, and this, this question is going to sound oddly specific, but I swear it's totally hypothetical. Yeah, this is it. This is it. <laughs> so... So how would you, uh, in redraft, how would you adjust your draft strategy to account for uh, limited waiver wire pickups? And I'll, I'll, I'll just throw a number out there. We'll say 10. Yeah. Well, first off, I would say anyone playing in those leagues, try to not play in those leagues. <laughs> you know, the, the whole point of fantasy football is to interact and to have fun. And, to, to, and all that does is, is tell people, no, you know, don't, you, this is your roster forever. And you, I mean, I guess it might force more trading, which would be great, but... Um, I'm more of a fan of unlimited waiver wire. But anyway, I, I think you do need to adjust your, your strategy, especially at like the quarterback position a little bit. Um, you know, if you think about quarterback philosophy in single quarterback leagues, one of the reasons why you can wait, aside from the depth of the position and the fact that, uh, you know, quarterbacks are drafted late, often break out, et cetera, et cetera. Part of it is because you have this backbone in streaming where in a worst case scenario, if you don't have a quarter, if you draft a quarterback who gets hurt or just doesn't perform, whatever, you can stream. And and I, I have a podcast called Living the Stream that I do with with uh, one Denny Carter, uh, and he uh, he and I have streamed over the last six years the equivalent in, in points per game of a QB six to a QB eight, and that's by using guys only on the waiver wire who are owned in about a third or fewer leagues, 
and uh, we don't have the benefit of picking a guy up and then just using that guy if he ends up hitting. So, like, Mm -hmm. Deshaun Watson his rookie year before he got hurt, uh, even Ryan Fitzpatrick uh, throughout his career, like, he he ends up not being streamable, and and Tyrod Taylor that one year. Uh, So we we picked the – we don't have the benefit of of that, right? So our our numbers should actually be higher than they are. Mm -hmm. Um, But you don't have that backbone in leagues where – waiver wire options are limited or you're, you're not able to, to pick up guys at will and so uh, as a result you might have to adjust you might have to take a more steady quarterback uh, you might have to just <clears throat> reach a little bit higher than you want to uh, at that position just because you know that you can't fall back on the stream I love mm-hmm. it and that was uh, again 100% uh, hypothetical it was not a hypothetical uh, there's some home league type of holdovers that you'll find and it's it's so crazy to kind of hear it's not just us you know we hear this from from people on twitter all the time of these kind of like yeah you know i've been in this league for 15 plus years you know we still have to submit our trades via paper or something like that yeah, yeah. It's just uh it's kind of it's interesting yeah. um but, but yeah that's i i love what you said about um you know, obviously, your guys' uh, ability to pick up streamers is is pretty f- fantastic, uh, especially from the quarterback spectrum. But uh, I did not realize that you couldn't like hold them at all. That's that's funny. yeah. No, it's tough. It makes it really annoying, honestly, <laughs> more than anything else. I just want to. Maybe next year I should just be like in my spreadsheet, say I'm holding on to this guy so that I can just prove to people how. Yeah, go go, go from that perspective as opposed to picking a new guy every week but um yeah qb6 to qb8 it's not as hard as people think awesome yeah all right jake do you have any other uh questions here for jj before we uh sign off you know i actually was just real quickly curious because we love to have a a portion you know it's great to be 100 percent unbiased when it comes to fantasy football because i i'm sure that the best results absolutely come from that as somebody who is as so sophisticated with data and so data driven, obviously, I would assume that you agree with that. But but we do like to let our biases come out every once in a while. So I'm just curious to your all things pit. Is there any uh, projection? I'm assuming that extends to the Steelers, and I'm not speaking out of turn here. But is there anything specific that you you know about the Steelers, or even that you're hopeful for with them? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that the Deontay Johnson hype is real. Um, he's someone that, that you're going to see his ADP fly uh, as the summer months hit. Uh, he's already reaching uh, higher ADP than a lot of people would have expected, but uh, I, I think he's really good. Um, you know, as a prospect, I didn't know much about him, uh, and then they drafted him, and I was like, like what is this? Because there were other good wide receivers on the board. I was really confused. Um, but you dig in, and he actually had a lot better numbers than even at face value last season when looking at it. You know, I've changed my prospect modeling up a little bit. Um, he, he was a lot better prospect than I realized last season. Um, and the Steelers have historically been pretty good at, at spotting wide receivers and drafts in, in the non-first round. Um, that's good. But but I think that, that he could end up being uh, easily, you know, I, I'm not going to say that he's going to surpass Juju this season. I don't think that's necessarily in his range of outcomes. I mean, it's in his range of outcomes, but I don't think that it's a probable outcome, um, but he's going to play on the outside. He's going to see a lot of volume in the offense. It should be an offense that throws the ball a good bit. Um, I, I just I think he's he's good, uh, and that's what the team is saying too, and that's what every uh, beat reporter is saying in Pittsburgh as well. So they're going to have Juju in the slot where where he belongs, where he can dominate. They'll throw Deontay Johnson on one side, 
Uh, and then I, I think we'll see James Washington start on the other side and then Chase Claypool maybe take over a little bit there because they insist on playing a tight end uh, on a wide receiver. Um, but, uh, yeah, so we'll, we'll see. I, I really am buying into the Deontay Johnson hype, though. Awesome. That was great. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to let you let that out in case you're not given the yeah. opportunity as much. Um, no, that was that was great. I'm also I'm also a big Anthony McFarland guy. I should I should throw that out too. I'm, are I'm you really? But are you? So are you a big Anthony McFarland guy? Be, just because you're worried about potential injury, or just because of the talent, or what? Yeah. So well, I love James Conner. I mean, I graduated from Pitt, uh, and so I, I I mean James Conner is like my favorite person of all time. Uh, it's like it's like James Conner, my wife, my child. You know? <laughs> uh, no, so, so I mean, I love James Conner. Um, it's just tough because I don't think he's necessarily a special talent. Um, I think he's good. I think he's an above-average running back. I just don't think that he's anything special. You know, he's not he's not Christian McCaffrey or or someone that you would get in the early rounds of your fantasy drafts. Um, but I think that he he should walk in at a decent amount of volume. I think again, I often think in range of outcomes, and I think that James Conner is actually pretty good value right now because of what we know could happen in that offense with that offensive line and what he's already proven to, to be. So I do think he has a really good ceiling. Um, my thing with Anthony McFarland is that it's not unreasonable to think that he ends up being the best running back in that backfield just as a player. Um, he has better speed than anyone on that team by far. Uh, he has pass catching chops. Um, and there is the narrative too, because Mike Tomlin's son played with Anthony McFarland at Maryland this past year. Uh, so you have a little narrative there. So Mike Tomlin's going to say, that's my guy. You know, I, I love Anthony McFarland. Um, but I, I think that he fits in really nicely as a, as a compliment to James Conner. And any time that you can have a player who is going to see the field who could end up being electric, which that's sort of how I see Anthony McFarland. He's a really electric player. He's really quick, really fast. Uh, so when you see a guy like that with the ball in his hands, you say to yourself, I want to give him more volume. Um, and so I, I just think he's still a little bit sneaky. He's one of my my higher roster dynasty assets now after all my rookie drafts. Nice. Mm-hmm. I'd have to give him an old bump up the rankings based on <laughs> yeah. the, uh, the Homer report there. I love that. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that does it. Uh, do you have any last-minute plugs here, JJ, you'd like to uh, tell the folks? Uh, I'm on Twitter at late round QB uh, and then my podcast, the late round podcast that I do uh, a couple times a week. All right. Well, JJ, I just want to prep in here. I said at the top of the episode that you are a Jean-Claude Van Damme for this episode. I think anybody listening can agree that that bore out. Uh, you really, you really <laughs> Van Dammed it in, in the best way Thank possible. You. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. And thank you so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. All right. Well, big thank you to JJ for being on the show this evening. That was very enlightening and a lot of fun to have him on. Definitely check out his podcast, the the Late Round podcast. Uh, it is excellent. It's on my must-listen-to uh, as they are released every week. Um, How would you feel about that, Jake? I don't know if I can express the words, uh, so I'm going to do an interpretive dance that no of you can see to show uh, how excited I am about it. Well, at least I can no, see it. It was, it, was, so. it was fantastic. Loved having him on. <laughs> you, yeah, you can see it. Uh, you can see all of it. Mm-hmm. No, it was it was great. Really, uh, really appreciate him coming on to the podcast. Uh, obviously, if you're not reading his stuff and listening to his stuff, what are you doing? What are you doing? Um, you shouldn't be listening to us at that point. You should be stopping this podcast immediately and going over to his. That's right. Well, as always, folks, you know where to find us. We're on the Apple Podcast. Give us a rate and review. 
Uh, we're at pretty much anywhere you listen to your podcast, you can find us. Uh, if you have any questions for us here now that we're in the thick of the off season, uh, we love to hear your drunk trades. Hit us up uh, at Drinking Fantasy is the podcast handle on Twitter, and you can find me at Drinking at Drinking Fantasy. No, I just said that was our uh, podcast uh, handle. That, that, that was wrong. Uh, you can find me at FF Dusty Dog. Dustin is really living up to the, the first part of the podcast name here uh, on this particular <laughs> episode, I think. Uh, but, hey, you know what? Sometimes he does man the at Drinking Fantasy Twitter handle. That's so right. you're not technically wrong. Uh, sometimes you can be found there. So I got your back there. Uh, but you can also find me at Jake Trowbridge on Twitter. And until next week, folks, keep drinking and talking fantasy football. Cheers, FFers.